uh, some time, some vacation time, and went down to Moab, Utah this last week, and uh, slept in tents, and just uh, enjoyed God's creation by hiking and mountain biking around. Uh, when we first got down there, spring hadn't quite hit yet, and our first night in the tents got down to 14 degrees, so we, we figured it out. Um, just to, you know, for us Montanans, that's no big deal, right? Just you, you dress up warmer and you just survive it and all that. And we got we had a great time as a family. It was just a, a great blessing. The question here, what makes God really happy? I can tell you what makes me really happy is a week with my family running around hiking and biking. Yeah, that was wonderful. I loved it. But one of the things that I, I think of, we, we've talked with within our family on the way home, what, is the high, what were the highlights of the trip? And there's several things that we could come up with. But one of the things that I think was a highlight was showing up there uh, to the Moab Church of Christ on Sunday morning and being with people that we've we met in passing a few years ago, but people that we don't know. Uh, and sitting down, and there was a, a guest family from Texas, there was us, and then there was the locals, and just hearing the words of God and us participating in with Christians that um, that we didn't know personally in a new context. It was beautiful, and it was amazing. And afterwards, they asked me what I did. I said, I'm, I'm a minister, and they said, why didn't you tell us beforehand? Because you could have preached here. And I said, that's why I didn't tell you beforehand. Because I wanted to sit and listen and just take it all in. And it was wonderful. I said, but we will be here Wednesday and we'll come back. And if you would like, I'll, I can teach Wednesday. And so we did come. We were there on Wednesday night and they said, all right, just teach us. You're new. You, we've not heard from you before. What do you have to say? And uh, it was it was a, a rich, encouraging time. And um, I know some of that crew, uh, I just... You can see that there was great faith there, just like with you guys. You can see that there's great faith. And, um, and so my encouragement for you is whenever you travel and summer's coming up, and a lot of us will be traveling, make it a priority to find the Church of Christ wherever you're at and meet with them because there's really good stuff that happens when we just show up to people we don't know and we come in the door and we um, share the message of God with, with people. Really good stuff happens, and I encourage you to do that. That was, I think, one of the highlights of the, the trip for me. You got the question up here, uh, what makes God really, really happy? And there's a few different things we can talk about. We're going to look in Luke 15, and so go ahead and turn there. And uh, this is going, this, these passages are going to talk about some things that make God really, really happy. Now, before we jump into that, I wanted to share something, and I do this once a year because it was just about... Uh, I'm on my seventh year of being here in Belgrade. It doesn't seem like that long. Um, things have moved along very quickly. There's a lot of things that have happened in seven years. In fact, I got a picture of my kids uh, that, that was right when we, uh, right before we moved here, actually. And that is, uh, my kids have changed a bit, um, a little bit. You know, things are different. I came here as a, a young guy with young kids, and in the seven years that we've been here, a lot has changed, and, and my kids are older, and I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm just, I'm just that much closer to launching into eternity, and I love it. It's awesome. But with something I did, um, and I have this in, my, in the office that I use here. This is a, a bunch of sermons. These are various Belgrade sermons, so not a part of a series, but something I preached on sometime during my, my time here. And I've got volume two of this going on right now. But one of the things I did 
is the first Sunday that I was here, I shared a covenant that I was going to make with the church here. And uh, if you were here at that time, you know, the church had experienced some very difficult moments and very difficult times. And I knew what I was coming into, a lot of heartache, a lot of hurt. And what I shared was is that what I was going to do is my covenant was I couldn't, you know, all I can do is share the message of God and live out a godly life and walk alongside you. Um, and I, I made a covenant, which is an agreement between two parties, uh, with, with God, with my family, with the church, and with the community as I moved here. And I'm going to share some of that because I think it's just important to remember you know, the relationship that minister church has together. And first of all, I said, as, uh, as a... Uh, as an individual, I'm making a commitment and recommitting to God to seek to please and to honor Him above all else, continue to grow in my own understanding of Scripture and my own prayer life. And I can tell you that that has definitely grown in the going on seven years that I've been here, starting seven years that I've been here. There, and I could give a lot of different examples, but one thing I've shared with a few people is, and I, I haven't shared with the group, but I'm going to share it, but I'm not going to be real specific about it is I was convicted in my own life of the importance of me being one who uh, fasted on a regular basis. And I've started doing that about a year ago, um, and I've just quietly, uh, in fact, uh, Sylvia knows when I do it, but my kids don't, and I don't share it with anybody else. But what I do is I dedicate that day to praying for a couple of two, three things, whatever it may be. And it's amazing what I've seen is that every day that I do that, God does something powerful on those days. That's just one example I wanted to share with you of ways that I've continued to grow and, and continue to try to be an example in some way, just in my own personal walk with God. I shared that I'm making a commitment with my family to love them and lead them spiritually, to be faithful to my wife. Uh, Sylvia and I celebrated 20 years of marriage last month, and um, and that says a lot of things, that we are able to, uh, to overcome uh, difficult moments and also that Sylvia is a very deeply spiritual person. You know, that's what we understand from that, right? She's wonderful to be able to, to uh, stick with me you know, all these years. And I could say our marriage has continued to grow and to blossom, and I'm so thankful for her. And our kids as well, I've seen a ton of good spiritual fruit um, come from them. Uh, they're not perfect. Um, they would be the first to say that. I would be, the, and they would be the first to say that their parents are not perfect. That we still have that sinful nature that dwells in us at times. But I continue to see uh, all of us uh, grow towards God and, and look more like Him every day. I've uh, I made a commitment with the church here to be one who brought conviction and encouragement to the church in uh, teaching and preaching and just life. And hopefully bring, be a part of the healing process uh, for good things to, uh, for the future to be better than the past. I promised, and I made a covenant to work alongside you. Um, I said, I have written down here, I'm not perfect, but I'm in process. God has made me perfect um, and washed my sins, but it's like this, this, this cocoon. You know, there's, I'm already been washed clean, but that sinful nature is still in process of being, being washed. And I uh, won't be a complete project or complete, um, I won't be complete until uh, I launch into eternity. That's when uh, that process is finished. 
I said that I would be one that that worked well with the elders, that submitted to them, but also provided uh, conviction and encouragement as well. And that's something I've shared with the elders is, boy, I really want for Carl and Mark and Dan, I want to make you guys look good. <laughs> and I hope I do that on a regular basis. I appreciate those guys. Um, I think we've continued to grow in, in learning to work as a team together, and I see great spiritual fruit from those guys. And I would encourage you to keep them in your prayers and really encourage them and, and be a blessing to them and their families and, and the role that they serve here. Um, I promised, or I made a covenant to be a, um, a blessing to the community and to represent the church honorably. Um, and there's uh, various things that I believe that we've continued to keep this this covenant. No being involved in the school systems. Uh, I've continued to coach soccer. That's one way that I've uh, been involved in with the lives of families in the community. And something I'll share with you that I didn't expect, um, and I should have probably, but when we when we lived in Great Falls, a lot of the outreach in the community was me uh, because. When we first, uh, Sylvia and I first got married, she moved from Italy. She was integrated into my life, into my world, and all that. And when we moved here, we moved together. It wasn't Sylvia being integrated into my life. And what I saw is that Sylvia um, started working and, and being on the, the board at the Parent Teacher Association in the middle school. Uh, she helped organize and, and start the community market here in town in Belgrade. And there's various things that she's done. And I've just seen. Um, in some ways, I've been able to say, all right, Sylvia, be a blessing to the community. I'll help out. And it's been really neat to see uh, see that growth in our family and, and just how we operate. And all that to say is uh, all of these these commitments, these covenants that I've made with the, with the church here and with God, I've continued to keep. And I know that I have continued to learn, um, as I shared a minute ago, there's many of you have a deep, great faith, and I continue to learn from you. And I hope that you continue to learn from me as well in this relationship as we walk side by side in this world, uh, launching into eternity. What I've seen is in many, many ways, and we'll share these in detail some other time, is different ways that this church has grown in maturity in a lot of different ways. And you guys are doing amazing stuff. God's working in you to uh, shine light in the world around us. And my hope is, is this foundation that we've built is that it continues to grow and we continue to be a community that is active in seeking and saving the lost in, um, in the world around us. Uh, there is a, we'll get more to that later um, and some, some prayers and, and uh, musings and, and, and all of that. But God is good, Amen. God is good. God's continued to do great stuff, and that's something we can be really excited about. Thankful to be here. Love you guys. Uh, Luke 15. What we're going to see is there's a few mess or the few words that come up over and over and over again. Celebrate, rejoice, and glad. Those words we see again and again. Celebrate, in other words, throwing a party. We're all excited about what's happening. Rejoice, bringing joy or being full of joy and being glad, being happy. All of these words come up over and over and over again. And what Jesus is doing is sharing, here is something you need to understand about the heart of God. These are some things that make God really, really happy. Now, remember, we've been going through from September, we started uh, God's love story, where we've been reading through Scripture together. There's some reading plans there in the back. You're welcome to grab one and read along with us. 
And we've seen over and over again how God, from the very beginning of creation and the fall of mankind, has continued to reach out and continued to say, hey, I want to bring you guys in. I want, to, I want you to be in a good relationship with me. I want to walk side by side with you in this world. But what we see happening is mankind has a tendency to run back into sin, to run back into idolatry, to run back into selfishness, and all those sort of things. And God is always there to say, when you turn your heart to me and when you repent, I'm going to bring you in because that's how I operate. And so Jesus, God himself in the flesh, who has come and walks around, walked around among us, shares some parables that share some things that make God really genuinely happy. And we're going to see what that is today. So let's go to um, Luke chapter 15. And we're going to, I'm going to read the first couple of verses here. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so you have the teachers of the law and the, religious and the, and the Pharisees who are the religious leaders. They have everything together. They're going to correct everybody else, but they are above and immune to being corrected themselves. But you have the tax collectors, the sinners, those people that are the people that are not welcome in the religious community are coming to hear the message of Jesus. And the religious leaders say, this man welcomes them and eats with them. How dare he? What is wrong with him? Man, craziness. The darkness that must exist there. So what Jesus does is he tells three different parables there. He starts with one in verse 3. He says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Now think about that parable right there. There is, you have these... The sheep that are out in the field, there's a hundred of them. One wanders off. And so that shepherd leaves those sheep there, says, I've got to go find this one. This one is important because this one needs to be brought back into that community. And he goes out and he looks around. And God is, is uh, the, the example or, or the analogy of him being a shepherd is used several times in Scripture. And says that God goes out as a shepherd and looks around. And you can imagine this shepherd wandering around, looking behind this rock, looking down this valley, looking all over the place, and finally finds this sheep. And he's excited about it. And he throws that sheep over his shoulder and he walks it back. And then not only that, does he bring it back into that community there of the rest of the sheep, but he calls his neighbors and says, Hey, come and rejoice with me because I have found this lost sheep. I am really, really excited about what's going on here. And then he says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I wonder what a party in heaven looks like. Can you imagine... God and all of his excitement and angels that are flying around him, all these images that we see of heaven in Scripture, saying the exciting things. And what, what types of things that could this parable have shared? That God is excited when, fill in the blank, any number of things. God is excited when, um, when people read their Bibles daily, or God's excited when, throws a party when, X, Y, or Z, just fill in the blank, whatever it may be. But the parable says 
God gets really excited when there's repentance and someone comes back. There is straight up a party in heaven when that happens. And I look at that and I think, wow, that's amazing. A sinner who repents, God throws party in those situations. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you have seen the sin in your life, have come face to face with it and said, I can't do it anymore. I repent of all of that. Yeah, Think about what God is saying here happens when we have that type of heart that there is a great party that happens in heaven. There is great rejoicing. Of all the things that God could be excited about, he's looking down from his realm saying, yes, there's another one. There's another one that my word got to their heart. My word changed them and they have changed their heart and they're walking back to me. That's the stuff that I'm excited about. And Jesus doesn't stop there. Look at the next one. In verse 8, it says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Now, how many of you have lost something for a while, and then when you find it, it's a pretty fat deal? I'm pretty excited about it. I remember I lost a tape measure once, and I could not find it. Yeah, so you guys are smiling at each other. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I lost a tape measure, and I could not find it to save my life. And it took years, and I realized it was exactly where I put it. I didn't find it for years. I, in the meantime, I bought another tape measure, but I always missed that one. And when I found it, I was pretty excited. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And remember, Jesus is saying this in the context of you have these people that have said, the religious leaders saying, Jesus, why on earth do you invest in them? Why on earth do you hang out with them? Why do you do eat with them? Jesus says, because there's hope of repentance with them. And that's the stuff that God really gets excited about, and that's what God is really into. That's what makes God really happy. In the same way, I tell you, there's great rejoicing. The presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Jesus isn't done here. He continues on. And I won't read all of this one, but this is the parable of the lost son. And what happens is Jesus tells this parable and says, here's, here's a family, a guy who has two sons. And the younger son approaches him and says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Terribly rude, disrespectful thing to do. And the Hebrew uh, law, the oldest son got twice as much as everyone else. So if you have, um, in this situation, you have two sons, the oldest son would receive two-thirds of the inheritance, the younger son would receive one-third of the inheritance. And so the younger son comes up to his dad and says, Dad, basically, I wish you were dead. I want my share of the estate, and I want it now. I don't care about you. This inheritance is given to the son, and it says that the son goes off and just blows it all in wild living. And he gets himself in a tough situation because what he doesn't expect is a famine comes, and boom, all of his, all of that he has, maybe investments that he's had, whatever it is, is gone. He's in trouble. And so he is, uh, finds a job feeding pigs. Now think about that. For the, for the Israelites, pigs were an unclean animal. You didn't own them, you didn't touch them, you didn't want them near you, all of that. And so this young man finds himself with the only job that he can find is where he is feeding pigs, and he would like to eat what the pigs are eating, but he's not unable even to do that. That's as low as you get. And look what happens here is 
he says uh, in verse 17, he says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Imagine there's a lot of self-reflection that happened as this young man is getting all this slop and feeding it to the pigs and thinking, man, I just wish I could eat that stuff. And maybe the owner of the pig said, no, you can't eat the pig stuff. I'm not going to let you eat that. You need to find your own food. Whatever reason, he couldn't eat it. And he's thinking, man, I've blown it. I've totally blown it. I had things that were so good. And look what I've done. And something you don't see from the son is him saying, well, it's my father's fault, or it's my older brother's fault, or it's this person's fault, or it's that person's fault. There's none of that happens here. He says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. got to come back. I don't have anywhere else to go. I've sinned. I've done wrong. It's me. It's all on me. And it says in verse 22, uh, excuse me, second part of verse 20. So he went up, got up and went to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Before he says anything, the father says, hey, glad to have you back. The son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring in his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. <laughs> and so you see what happens. The father here, in, the, in this parable, the father is the, represents God. God loves it when people repent and come back to him. He's excited about that. He's thrilled about it. Look at this description, and we, I posted this here a while back because this is probably the, the greatest description of, of repentance that we see in Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. It says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Okay, this is the difference between guilt that causes us to, to repent, guilt that moves us to action, and guilt that we just stay in and wallow in and wallow in that ultimately destroys us. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. And Paul is talking about some uh, sin that had happened in the Corinthian church that he said you've got to take care of. And they did take care of it. And Paul is saying, "This look what happened. Look at this description of the sin and the re- response of this is there's no blaming, there's no, well, for this person did this, what person did that. You, what you did is you just jumped in and said, we have sinned. And look at all the good fruit that has come out of this. Look at how beautiful and amazing this is. And so what happens in this story is Jesus, as he's telling the story, the young son comes, the father says, he says, as the young son says, I've repented. I repent, I have sinned against heaven, against you. 
And God says, welcome back. Just glad you're here. So excited about that. And that's the end of the story, and everybody lives happily ever after, right? No, you know the rest of the story. If you've been around a while, something else happens here. His father is saying here, celebrate, celebrate, exciting times. But something else happens here. I'm going to read this portion here. You like that picture there? How many of you have done that, honestly? Okay, yeah, you know what I'm talking about here. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of his servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So the older brother has an option right here. How am I going to respond when my younger brother, that jerk face that has done all of this, comes back? The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Stick that lip out a little further. Stomp your feet on the ground, all that. But when the son, this son of yours, doesn't call him my brother, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. How dare you? What on earth is going on? My son, the father, said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. In other words, didn't you realize that you could have the fatted calf any time? But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. In other words, what doesn't make God happy is the older son syndrome. And that, wait a minute, why are you here? Wait a minute, what is this all about? Wait a minute, I'm going to call, hold into judgment people who want to come back in the kingdom of God. Man, when I was reading through the, um, through the reading plans this week, I came across this and I thought, wow, you know, all of this, what a great thing to speak about. What are the things that make God really happy? It's when there's great repentance, God says, come on back in. In the same way, and I tell you, there's great rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. I wonder, um, I wonder what that looks like in heaven. We get a, a description of heaven, some, very limited, in the last chapters of Revelation. But can you imagine whenever someone, maybe someone has, has uh, uh, been far from God and hears the message of God through you sharing your faith with them. They start participating with the church community and say, this is something I want, I'm so excited about this, this is what I need. And they become a Christian. Can you imagine what the thing is that we can't see? You know, it's exciting for us when someone is baptized. It's exciting for, some, for us when someone comes to Christ that way. But I think we can't imagine the, the amount of excitement that happens in heaven. God and the angels, everyone that is up there saying, yes, 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 one more, one more that is running away from that sinful nature and running into the kingdom of God. Or what happens when somebody wanders away, becomes a Christian, wanders away at some point in time and comes back, is convicted by the message of God and says, I just, I just need to be there. I just need to be with my people. I need to leave this stuff behind. God is there saying, yes, 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 I love it. 
Boy, as people, as I thought about this week, there's, um, I always want to be one, and hopefully all of us do, that is not caught up with the big brother syndrome, but is, uh, in some form or fashion, we are God's hands and feet on the earth saying, hey, there's great repentance, come on back, <laughs> come on into the kingdom of God. I'll share one thing with you that I didn't share when I, I shared the, the covenant um, with you here a little bit ago. Now, I had the opportunity, and not everybody has these opportunities, but I did at one point in time. When I first moved to Great Falls, there were some things that were happening all in the world, all there together. Um, there was uh, 9-11 happened. Some of us were around when 9-11 happened. You remember that. It changed our world um, for, for a number of years. Our world is still different because of 9-11, those jets crashing into the World Trade Centers there in New York City. Um, one of What happened, being a part of a military community there, all of a sudden, things changed. People that were my age had joined the military during the Cold War because they could go live in Germany, they could go live in Japan, they could see the world, they could have a great time, they could uh, raise their family being mobile and all that sort of thing. That was common. And all of a sudden... People that were in their mid-late 20s and a little older that had joined the military realized they were getting shipped off to Iraq, they were getting shipped off to Afghanistan, and it changed our world drastically if you were in a military community. Everything was different really fast. And I remember in the years after that, a few years after that, our average attendance in Great Falls on Sunday morning went from 190 to 280. Now, there's people becoming Christians right and left. There was a Bible study, evangelistic Bible study had on base that where there was, there was, I mean, every other week it seemed like there were people becoming Christians because our world had been rocked. Their world had been rocked. And a lot of people came to Christ. And that's one thing I, in the seven years that I've been here, you know, as a church, there's been people become Christians. There's, you know, we've, we've stabilized, we've matured in a whole lot of ways. And what my hope and my prayer is, is that this, what Jesus is saying here about what makes God really happy, really, really gets into our hearts and souls. And for every one of us to a person can look around and say, who around me is someone that I can share the message of God with, that they may repent, that they may change their heart and mind, and they can come into the kingdom of God. Just imagine what happens. In the early church, I, I saw a, a documentary that talked about how fast the early church grew at one point in time, in the times just after Jesus, say the rest of the first century, second century, third century. In order to get that type of growth, what had to happen is for every two people that were Christians, one person became a Christian per year. And that makes it more manageable for me to think about, is there weren't a lot of those situations where Peter was preaching and 3,000 people became Christians all at once, but it was people that were common people just like you and me, that were sharing the message of God with their coworkers, with their family members, saying, hey, you need to hear about this Jesus who raised from the dead because he is the answer to all sorts of stuff that I didn't have an answer for before. And just imagine what it looks like for us if for every two of us, one person becomes a Christian a year, or for every five of us, one person becomes a Christian per year. What's going to happen is God's going to continue to add more and more and more people to the, to the church around us and continue growth, continue to the thing that makes God really happy. So I would encourage all of us to think about that this week, is how am I being a part of this mission to bring people 
who are outside the kingdom of God back into the kingdom of God. And if all of us take that, that, that uh, mission seriously, God will use every one of us to change the world around us for eternity. If you'd like to become a Christian today, today's a great day to do that. If you'd like prayers of the church, head to the back. Let's stand and sing together.